Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast. My name is Patrick Dedrick, and I'm the founder of Progress Over Perfection Coaching and your host. And I want to thank you for listening in. Progress Over Perfection Coaching is a podcast focused on career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. Today, we have another entry in our Career Deep Dive series, where I bring on guests that are living successful careers to have them share their insights, experiences, and perspectives on career building and development. As always, the intent of this kind of episode is to showcase one of many possible successful career paths that can be taken, while also allowing others to share their tips and tricks for navigating your own career. My guest today is Linda Lucas. Linda is currently the coach to the CEO of the Earthshot Prize, an executive coach with the Leadership Consortium, and owns her own coaching practice, Linda Lucas Consulting, which focuses on growth, engagement, and leadership development. All of this is built upon a foundation that Linda has built through a variety of roles at Nike, where her inclination towards innovation and exploring the unknown and uncharted was fostered. But enough of me talking about Linda, let's get into hearing from her. for joining us. Happy to have you on. Thank you. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. So um, I wanted to start off uh, kind of talking through why I initially reached out to you and kind of frame it up that way. So it was funny that uh, having you on to talk through about career advice and career development, even though we met under non, very non-career <laughs> circumstances. So kind of exhausted after a CrossFit workout, I just have very clear memories of getting advice from you. We were both working at the same place at the same time, and you had just very, very profound insight on how to manage a career that just really stuck out in terms of uh, not settling for being comfortable and not settling for this or not falling into this trap of complacency and really pushing yourself to be uncomfortable, which was very appropriate for the kind of workouts we were doing, very, (laughs) very comfortable being uncomfortable. but it just really stood out uh, as something that I still remember today very clearly. And so just what I always think of when I think of you. So um, thank you for that. And then um, would love if you can kind of maybe throwing in some references to that kind of mentality, but kind of walk through your career and tell us a little bit about you, what's important. Mm, Thank you for that tee up. (laughs) I actually think back about my career and I have this very distinct memory of wanting to be an astronaut And that was my early day driver of thinking about how I was going to get to the moon, essentially, again, and uh, since it wasn't the first time. And I I was really impacted by a lot of the early space travel, which then led me to apply to the Air Force Academy, because I figured I probably want to learn how to fly a plane first. And in the process, I um, was nominated for the Air Force Academy, but I was not appointed And that was um, a blessing in disguise because I ended up checking a box on one of the applications for an ROTC scholarship, which did then allow me to go to the University of Illinois. And I was at the University of Illinois Institute of Aviation because I wanted to become a pilot. I thought, well, at least I can still fly. Even if I'm not gonna be an astronaut, I can fly a plane. And I spent um, a year learning how to fly a plane and and then also how to work on a plane. And in that time, I was also an ROTC, as well as rushing a sorority. So I always <laughs> I remember going to my sorority rush meetings and then also going to the armory in my 
in my uniform for the Air Force. And it was such a, just a, an interesting mix of, um, of the two. And in the end, I, I, I concluded that I wasn't happy in the cockpit because it was kind of lonely. And I preferred to be with people or work more in a, in a setting where I could help develop people versus bring people to the meetings where they were going. Mm. And that was kind of what made me pivot. And in the end, I went into marketing and graduated with a degree in marketing. But I, uh, my early career was, was impacted by my interest in advertising. So I went to... Um, Leo Burnett Advertising or Leo Burnett Agency in Chicago for seven years. I worked there on a number of different clients. And in the process, I fell in love with the idea of account, account management and understanding the consumer and, and just really better um, understanding how people tick. And I still remember a, a professor who I, I, um, I remember him saying, you might want to consider organizational psychology or org development because you've got a really good insight into how people are wired. And, and that was always in the back of my mind as I was better understanding advertising. From there, I went um, because a friend of mine was working at Wyden and Kennedy. I came out to Portland, talked to Wyden and Kennedy, and that wasn't the perfect fit for me. I didn't end up working for them, but they introduced me to Nike back in the early 90s. And that's where I started my career at Nike and ended up having just such an interesting, um, a, a, a very, uh, I guess, a very a, a variety of roles over the course of a total of 17 years. But I'll pause for a second there because I feel like I just went from, you know, being about <laughs> 70 years old to being in my 30s all at once. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's that's great. And I think um, it's so funny that, I mean, we'll talk more about the idea of of innovation and the idea of like kind of unlikely pairings. I just, it stood out that idea of you going to your sorority meetings in, in your, you know, ROTC gear and, and just that combination just seems so appropriate given kind of that, that focus on putting together new or different ideas to come up with something new. So uh, mm-hmm. I just love that as a backdrop, but kind of as you went through those changes, were there were there specific um, events or decision points or kind of criteria that caused you to focus or change your focus, like to get into advertising or then come over to Nike? And then maybe you can talk some about the, the roles that you had at Nike, because those were different from advertising as well, right? Yeah, there were a few um, uh, moments of clarity where while I was at adverti- in advertising, I had a very, I had a, I had the good fortune of working in um, industries that I was passionate about. The airline industry. I was on a cereal brand. I was on a soft drink business at the time, and I thought this is like super interesting and fun. However, in the back of my mind, I thought, oh my gosh, I could go to work tomorrow, and I could be put on a business that I wasn't truly aligned to from a value standpoint. And at the time, I, I knew that it, it was very possible if I wanted to make a long and successful career in advertising, you kind of have to be a little agnostic around what businesses you work on. And it wasn't something that I wanted to have to like, um, I didn't want to have to like make that decision. So instead of having to make the decision to not work on a certain type of industry, I decided that maybe it was time for me to just find something that I was passionate about. And all through my career, I've been super active as, you know, we love, we love CrossFit together. (laughs) Um, 
I also found that I love sport and the impact sport can have on people's lives. And uh, Nike was still in its somewhat early days, 1993. It was still a relatively small brand. I mean, it was definitely on the map, but it was nothing like today. And so that whole being drawn to Portland, Oregon and the Pacific Northwest, being around all sorts of things I knew I would love, and then being able to work for a brand that was aligned to my values, I felt like that was really a, a clear um, path. Mm. And um, and then when I <laughs> when I got into Nike, I, I started in product management in the running business. And then I worked my way through women's fitness and I worked on a bunch of different categories throughout about seven years of product management. And that was super enriching. I, I found myself loving the product creation process. In the process, um, I did some great travel, had just wonderful people to work with. It was just like, it was like I had pinch me moments while I was either on campus or, out, um, you know, traveling around the world doing just such interesting things. So I found my my time at Nike was amazing. In the process, I also met my husband there and we ended up moving to um, a competitor <laughs> so that he could work. Um, he was in design and at the time all of design worked in the U.S. for Nike and obviously some of the competitors have uh, have offices for design overseas. So we ended up moving to Germany and lived there for three years where I, uh, we gave birth to both our boys there. And I ended up not working while we were in Germany and just had a great, uh, experience being a full-time mom and traveling and kind of figuring out where and when we were going to, uh, get away. Cause in Germany, there's like 40 days of holiday and we took every single one of them every year. And it was just such a treat. So we, it was like, that was another chapter that was um, super uh, different than my day-to-day that I'd been used to. And when we moved back to the U.S., I ended up consulting and and that was another kind of exploration of doing things I loved. So my consulting was uh, interesting because I was able to uh, do team, at that point I was starting to do team development, um, some coaching, uh, though I wasn't formally certified, I had tons of really interesting coaching clients. And at that that's when I really I realized how change is hard on people. And I was doing a lot of change management. It wasn't so well established at the time. You know, people didn't have a career in transition management so much, but I found that I was I was drawn to helping leaders navigate change and and help that kind of come to life as a team and embraced in a way that was healthy instead of you know you know unproductive so my time as a consultant kind of primed me for transitioning into a new role when my husband uh changed um roles out of the industry and then i was able to do what i wanted which was actually to go back to nike so I ended up coming back to Nike after a little hiatus, <laughs> a, a 10 year hiatus, essentially. But that's when I um, started in a new path. Um, yeah. That's Shall great. I? <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think one thing that uh, I think was was great through all that is I think uh, as you went through your career, it started in, in terms of very set kind of almost prescriptive paths of like astronaut pilot advertising and then it really morphed into this like doing what you love and finding things that really you're passionate about and the the what is maybe a little 
less like the nuts and bolts of like the actual like the title or you know the kind of work yeah. seemed to take a back seat to making sure that it was fulfilling and aligned with your values so I just love that 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 transition yeah. kind of felt like was that a conscious choice that you woke up one day and said I mean you almost said that you know as you're working at the ad agency but was that a every day from then you got up like this check to say is this, am I living my values am I able to sit in this yeah, it's so interesting because I think back now on so many things we know about how to find sort of fulfillment at work and how wellness comes to life. And so much of what we can talk about has to do with understanding your purpose, understanding and aligning your values to the organization. Like this is almost like um, everyday kind of well, most people have some sense for that. 20 years ago, that wasn't part of the conversation. So mm. I, I felt really um, kind of a little bit on the frontier of understanding it and being able to articulate it and bring it to life in my co- my consulting practice at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and that frontier piece, if I were to draw a thread that was kind of like a through line through my career choices, it was really, I found myself super alive going places that I had never been before or that others hadn't gone or hadn't um, hadn't been on that journey and they needed someone to like guide them or at least kind of professionally hold their hand. Mm -hmm. So that's where that kind of astronaut piece comes in. I love Mm -hmm. the idea of helping clients go places that they've never been before and ensuring that where they're going is a destination that's aligned to who they are, who they Mm want to be, what their purpose is. Um, all the things that create that sort of um, kind of perfect destination. So mm-hmm. that that was really, I think, illuminating for me uh, during my consulting practice. And then I had the opportunity. So my husband essentially retired after about 25, 27 years of corporate. And he um, we traded places where he wanted to stay with our two boys who are now in middle school. And uh, I, when I went back to Nike, I actually went into a new role that was sort of, again, linked to a new, a, it was a new group within Nike design that was being led by uh, one of my favorite managers um, to date. And she was super intrigued because I was uh, clear on what uh, and how to work with designers because I was married to one and I could see what <laughs> a bad day to him was to me is, oh my gosh, there's no process there. There's no clarity. That's not a great brief. The timelines are clear. Like I could see how something would need to like maybe go smoother. And so when, when I had the opportunity to go into design, design operations at Nike, which essentially was to clear the path for design to show up at their best. Mm-hmm. That was back in 2011, kind of early days design ops. And and I just was, that was one of my favorite roles at Nike because every day we just helped design do their best work. And mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where it was it was it was good because our team was really good at operations and process and helping create clarity on teams and how to do things that might be a little bit foreign or a little harder for the creative mind. We would just be partnering with design. And it was nice because it was in the only time in my career, people would say, wait, stop. 
design ops is not here. We can't start the meeting. So <laughs> it, it was like they really, really valued design was just so lovely to work with. And they really valued our role. And it was just a joy to help bring the team that worked um, on design ops, bring that team along and ended up growing it and, and just really, we just did really good work. That was a mm. really good chapter. I loved that. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, so I think pulling us through to present, so you had a one or two other roles at Nike between then and then have since left Nike. And so tell us more about what where your career holds for you maybe now. Yeah, well, it's interesting because while I, I okay, so now I am officially able to look back or actually it was when I was coming to the end of my design ops, I was able to look back and I noticed a pattern of seven year chunks. So I had been at Leo Burnett seven years. I had been as a consultant seven years. I had been in design ops seven years. And I realized that I have kind of the seven year pattern. There is a thing, there's a bunch of science about, around this. So I was like, it wasn't that novel, but I was like, oh my gosh, it's time. I've got to, it literally prompted me to start thinking what is next. And um, one of my mentors at Nike said, I really, really should consider being more in a people side of the business with, and, and look at the um, HR function. And, and at, at the level I was at, that's a harder transition to make because you kind of have to know what you're doing to manage a team. And so changing into HR, I had only been a recipient of HR, not necessarily leading HR, but I had the good fortune of being able to work with the um I was it was able to be the HRBP to the leader of Valiant Labs, one of my um, all time favorite managers. In addition to my first manager at my Nike, my last manager at Nike <laughs> was awesome. And, and we ended up doing some great work um, as her HRBP in Valiant Labs. So Valiant Labs was Nike's internal incubator for digital capabilities. And we were able to look at HR in a, a, a fresh way and kind of use Valiant Labs as a Petri dish for new ways of working. So we got to try on new things around recruiting and around development and around diversity and inclusion. And it was just a really um, interesting three years of trying on new things and going places no one had gone before. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then, you know, COVID kind of uh, surprised us all and, during that time, I had an epiphany around just, I had one of those moments where I had COVID, I call it OG, it was like COVID before, you know, the vaccine. And it was when you waited for the elephant to come in the room to step on your chest. And I was waiting for that feeling of not being able to breathe. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But in that time, I said, if this is the last job that I ever have, I, is that, am I doing the work I should be doing? And I, I just was super clear that I had, I had more, I had another chapter in me uh, actually to do things that I really, really get passionate about, which for me, it, it's always been coaching. I've always loved mentoring and coaching and certainly managing teams, but to be able to coach full-time was, was always in the back of my mind. And so in June of 2021, I peeled off from Nike and started my own coaching practice and was able to finish up a coaching certification. So I've been um, coaching, I, 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 I would call myself a growth coach. And I like to work with 
um, entrepreneurs and innovators kind of going places they've never been before, but where, where they've kind of been able to like assess how they want to show up. And I help them bring their whole self, their head, mm-hmm. heart, and gut together and be a leader that helps them innovate better than they ever thought possible. And, and that's basically where I am today. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. So I guess I have to ask, does your, did your seven years start when you were leading <laughs> before you left Nike or did your seven years start after you got certified? Yeah, it's a good question because I, side note, I went to this amazing place and we'll put this in the, in the show, in the show notes, in the, the back <laughs> of the notes. The, um, I went to have my aptitudes done. I'm a little bit of an assessment junkie. I love, love, love looking under the hood to see how I'm wired and what I can learn and continue to uh, uh, evolve. And I was super curious about this firm out of Seattle called um, Johnson O'Connor and they do aptitudes and it's a really, it's a different take on what you're good at and it's not self-assessed. It's like they assess you and it's about six and a half hours of actual tests that you do from (laughs) listening and trying and hearing and uh, seeing colors and you have to go to the website to to better understand everything. But in the end, the gentleman who debriefed, he debriefed, he debriefed my um, assessment and he said, you know, based on how you're wired, you probably are going to go through your entire life wondering what's next or what that next chapter is. It seems like you've got a lot of, I have the ability to come up with a lot of ideas. And he kind of described the fact that I'm going to have a next chapter because when <laughs> I started coaching, I'm like, this is it. I've, I've found my final chapter. I'm going to do this until I'm done working. And then he planted the seed that I probably have another one in me, but I haven't <laughs> figured that out. And I'll wait until I'm, I'm truly, truly uh, ready to move because I love, love, love what I'm doing today. That's great. And yeah, we'll definitely put a link um, to that uh, Johnson O'Connor yeah. uh, in the show notes. Um, Similarly, I am uh, an assessment junkie and I've been checking that website out since you told me about it, trying to figure out when I can go and get assessed. So that'll be great. Um, So I think maybe looking back then at your career, um, there's definitely been kind of a through line, at least kind of your since coming to Nike, it seems like, or since you started at Nike, being involved with people and kind of focusing on um, helping people, whether as a manager or obviously more recently as a coach. And so can you maybe talk about um, the intentionality behind that and, and kind of why was that something that you knew that you wanted to do, or is it just the natural progression of, Hey, you're more senior now. So now you're going to manage a team. And what did that, what did that look like? You know, I, I, I've always liked managing teams. And I think what I've been drawn to in hindsight because I like to know what, what is the motivation? Like, why was it that I liked managing teams? And a few things come to mind uh, that, that of course, have to do with assessments. Honestly, I do think, like, effective leaders and effective managers actually do know how they're wired. So I, I kind of joke that I love assessments. But I think assessments can tell us a lot when we mm-hmm. are really curious about understanding. I wanted to understand, like, what how am I wired and how can I leverage my strengths in such a way that I can do good work? And Mm. and how can I address the gaps that I have that, that will help also complement the team. And I think that 
knowing your gaps or where your maybe blind spots are, are just as important as knowing your strengths. Mm. And through some of the work I had done on myself, I was able to, I, I really think I hire, I really hire a good team. And so one of my favorite sayings has always been hire hard and manage easy. Mm. And so like, if you think about, and granted, we always, there's always times when you inherit a team, but when you have the chance to really build a team and you can and take your time, like really take your time to understand what the role is you're looking for. What are the qualities? How can you create a diverse team and, and really take the time to have a, a highly you know, qualified, diverse pool of candidates that will help ensure you have a diverse, uh, qualified selected candidate, I I think that hiring hard and managing easy has helped fuel really high performing teams that I've been able to manage. And then it's a light touch. It's like mm-hmm. literally you're just a, touching the rudder. Mm-hmm. And of course, every high performing team needs to know where they're going. So to be able to paint a picture of the future effectively, I just, it's one of my strengths. I feel like I can paint a picture and see the vision for the future I would say I, I've, been, I've not always been good at translating that vision into a plan. I'm good at executing that plan, but where I've always made sure is there's someone on the team that really knows how to create a plan. Like, mm. like, the, like the nuts and bolts of a plan, I think, is probably more my gap. And I've had amazing people who have been able to do that because I know that about myself. So then I can hire for that, uh, for that quality or that skill. And so that has always been um, sort of why I've enjoyed managing teams. Cause I feel like I've just always been able to hire great people to be on the teams. And then it's just, it's more of a light touch. I also like, I've uh, one of my strengths is maximizer and that's straight from uh, mm-hmm. strength finders. Lots of times people think they have to spend a lot of money on assessments and strength finders um, continues to be one of the tried and true places to go to really, I mean, how lovely is that? Like, let's talk about our strengths. Let's talk about how yeah. we're going to do that more. Let's talk about the team's strengths. Like everyone, it's just like the conversation lifts the room. And so one of my strengths is maximizer. And that is basically taking someone who's great and making, helping make them exceptional. And I, I think that's kind of at the core of like, for me, that's what drives my, my manager role. It also is what drives my coaching role. I love mm-hmm. helping individuals who want to grow and develop. I love helping fuel that development. And I think one of the biggest challenges I had in that transition from manager to coach is technically as a manager, you can sort of control the outcomes because that's what you're, you know, <laughs> we're in service of the company that we work for and mm-hmm. we are following a strategy that's aligned to the bigger strategy. And if we're really good, we can really deliver against our objectives. So there is an outcome that you can actually measure. And that's kind of where you say, yay, check, we did a great job. You know, as a coach, the outcomes really are not for me to, like, I can't control an outcome. Mm -hmm. I can only create a safe space to explore and to prompt and to really help um, bring to life the different parts of the coachee that that help them fuel that development. So when when I briefly mentioned the head, the heart, and the gut, I that's what integral coaching is, is to bring all three of those 
intelligence centers to life. And we often leave one or two at home. You know, mm. we, most people go to work with their head and maybe their intuition or their gut. Some people forget that their heart is part of what gives them sort of strength, strength. And like to bring your heart into the mix is really powerful. And when you have all three, it's like you can move mountains. But the idea is to make sure someone has the ability to actually listen to their heart and listen to their intuition in a way that helps them make better decisions and show up as an inspiring leader and give them confidence to do things they didn't know was possible. And so that was, I think that the challenge for me was not being able to control the outcome, but to make space for the client or the coachee to really grow into that outcome or that mm. objective that they had set forth. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's great. And I think to the, I love that you talked about the, the hire hard, manage easy. And that's a very light touch. Cause to me that, that sounded very reminiscent of what it means to be a coach as well. So it almost felt like as you were mm -hmm. describing it, you had that, you were just already innately coaching and, and really coaching, not the, I think we were joking before, right? Like the, not like a managerial coaching conversation where you're just having a difficult conversation with somebody because somebody maybe didn't do something right. Um, I just, I just really like that. It just feels very authentic to your style where it was just a natural progression into, into coaching. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel I feel like um, when I think about the one thing that I love, love, love about Nike is that you don't realize how much you learn until you are gone or mm. until you've left. And then I feel like my tool, I feel like my toolbox of insights and experiences is just really full. And I don't want to say I took that for granted, but then when you go out into the world, it's just like there's so there's so much there's, there's so much um, to sh not share, but there's so much need in the world that what we learned at Nike, it continues to like, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Mm. So yeah, yeah, Thank absolutely. You. Yeah. The experience is broader than the nuts and bolts of what you executed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. That's good. That's awesome. So I think now uh, we did a really light touch on I don't actually think we even brought up the Earthshot Prize, but do you want to talk a little bit about the Earthshot Prize and the work yeah. that you're doing there? And maybe just for starters, for those unfamiliar, what, what is the Earthshot Prize? So the Earthshot Prize is a, a nonprofit that was founded by Prince William. Uh, um, and Prince William, along with the Royal Foundation, wanted to get after sort of like solutions in the world that could help sort of repair the planet with a sense of urgency. So for the next now eight years, because it's been around since 2020, Prince William awards or the Earthshot Prize rather, sorry, the Earthshot Prize awards five different Earthshot Prizes of a million pounds each. And those different Earthshots address um, how we can do a better job of protecting and restoring nature how we can clean our air, how we can revive the oceans, how we can build a waste-free world and also fix our climate. So each of those categories has a number of nominee, nominees and then we get down to five finalists for each. And then the 15 finalists go on a, a journey 
for a year that helps them grow and develop as leaders and also access more resources and funding. And the Earshot Prize is, is led by the CEO, Hannah Jones, who was the president of Valiant Labs when I was her HRBP or human resources business partner. And it was in my Valiant Labs experience that Hannah and I worked well together. And when she left to be the CEO of the Earshot Prize, I happened to have also that, that same time period was when I left to start my coaching practice. And she tapped, uh, tapped me to come help her um, part-time a few days a week to kind of set up her leadership team early days and help bring some leadership development to life for her leadership team. And then this last January, I had just such the good fortune of working with the 2022 Earshot Price finalists mm -hmm. during their retreat. And they all came together and had a week-long retreat. And I was able to bring um, some leadership development to life on day one of the week-long retreat. And, and I just found myself just so, so inspired and um, just so moved by the, the finalists. They came from all over the world, all different solutions, all different stages and phases of their startups. And they all had that common thread of wanting to go where no one's gone before and, and to change the world along the way. And that's when I was like, oh, this is like, I am in heaven on earth. Like this is like, this is the, this is the profile of uh, the coaching client that I just could work with all day long. And so Earthshot Price is a special place. Prince William is an amazing man. He has just such a generous heart and has just, um, I think, I mean, certainly he's, it seems weird to say this is going to be his legacy, but he is going to continue. He'll always do good work in the world, but this is going to change the world. Actually, it's funny. There, there was a photographer there for the week and he was our, he was the photographer for the Royal family and he spent the week with us. And I had a, a private moment with him where he talked about being in the room when the Earthshot prize was born and it was just a white, it was conference room with a whiteboard and a small group of people had brought this to life. And he said, I never talked to my wife about work, but I went home that night at dinner and I said, something special just <laughs> happened. That's going to change the world. I know it. Hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this, this is that moment. Like it, it's this, like he had that. And I think it is. And so anyway, it's so, Very so goosebumps kind of like just telling that story. Like, yeah, yeah. So, yes, I feel like between my coaching clients and then the team sort of leadership development that I do with, um, I am Hogan certified, Hogan leadership assessment certified. And I bring that to life with teams as kind of an, an evolution often of a coaching engagement, or I will often just get called in from with teams to, to help, help them be better leaders together. And I use a Hogan to kind of do that. Yeah. That's great. Um, I think too, you've as you've talked through different uh, experiences, you've really shown um, the importance. I think of not necessarily like intentionally networking, but just that you can have a very positive presence with those that you interact with. That you know, I guess it's maybe a lesson to not burn bridges, right? Because you never know when somebody's going to come tap on the shoulder because they know you from maybe a completely different context, but they know what you can bring to the table. So I think that's, that's also like another 
another hidden gem of a lesson within yeah, your stories there. So true. So true. Yeah. And I think next, love to take a step back, I think, to where you were talking about uh, when you and your husband moved to Germany and you kind of, your career kind of took a, I don't want to say a backseat because you had a very important job of, you know, taking care of the family. And, and then now, then he, you guys swapped, basically you tagged out and he took care of the family after that. So that's a very, I think, atypical kind of arrangement that I think it's got to be this either or kind of yeah. setup versus this yes and, but with some timing staggered and being really intentional about that. Can you talk about how you and your husband came up with that as a, as a plan that, that seemed to really work for you? Yeah, it, 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 it was, you know, everyone has their own journey and there, and I, I truly believe there is no right or wrong on parenting. And I've yet to meet a parent that like wants to screw something up. Like we all, <laughs> all do our best with the skills we have. And it took us forever to have a family. Like we, we spent a long time. And when we finally did get pregnant and when I say we, I feel like it was a we journey. So I know <laughs> I got pregnant, but we, we went on it together. When we finally got pregnant, I, um, I, I had said, you know, I, we both had agreed that it, it, it was really going to be important that whatever we do professionally, we, we agreed that we would always have one flexible adult in the house at all times. Hmm. And flexible would be the one that said, I have a job that allows me to be kind of fluid where, hmm. you know, that was, that's when I did consulting in between my two Nike cents. I could make my own schedule. I could work in the evenings. I could work at Odon hundred. I could, work in the middle of the day. It was super flexible. And, and that was the beginning of like, okay, flexibility is good. We also um, at the time thought it was important to move back from Germany and have some culture in the house, having lived overseas, mm -hmm. just having more of a language, different language. So we had two years where we had au pairs live with us. And at the time it was a really affordable way to do it. Now it's not so it's <laughs> affordable, but it's, it's still expensive. But at the time it was super affordable to have an au pair live in the house. And that brought the language back to the dinner, mm. dinner table. Like we had a chance for the boys to hear German and we had, you know, wanted to somehow keep that file of German going. Um, and, and so that was an interesting time. And when my husband decided to retire he said, I'll be the flexible adult. And if you want to do something else, then we have some flexibility. Hmm. And so when, when I had the chance to go back to Nike and work in design ops, he was, he was at that time kind of feeling called to do more volunteer work. He's got a, you know, he was a designer, but he also loves art. And so um, he did a lot of volunteering in the school around in the art class, oh, which cool was really cool and you don't see and not to at least at the school our boys went to there weren't a lot of dad volunteers let alone in the art class mm. and he was kind of there to help dispel the myth that you know if you were good at art you'd be a starving artist mm. and he was like no you know you can be really good at art and go into the applied arts and a lot of parents don't know that and, and so he was kind of um, able to help bring um, some really talented young people along to like help them understand like there's careers out there. So he was really uh, happy to be volunteering in the classroom a lot. 
So there was a time when I, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm like so into this being on point at home that I really, he said he really wanted to be like all in and didn't even want to try to consult. So there was, I remember the day I said, do you really want to be all in? Like, do you know, I know you probably, you know that I used to make dinner because you'd always come home and we'd have a great meal. I'm like, can you be all in and like, when you're like grocery shopping, making dinner, doing laundry, <laughs> putting laundry away, scheduling camps, getting them to the, he's like, I'm in. And I'm like, this is awesome. So, and he, he was so good. He was so good. So, and I just share that because I had been doing all that when I was flexible adult in the house. And then mm. he was like embracing it. So to put it in context, basically it was from when our boys were in middle school all the way through high school. And it was just, you know, really nice to have, dad around to to do fun things with and get them to sports and get them to their lessons and get their homework done and I I kind of I feel like the relationship our boys have with dad their dad is special because mm. of those formative years they were home it's also special with me because I was there too <laughs> and every parent is always there so I I share my story not with any again that worked for us it might not work for everyone yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, if nothing else, it highlights the fact that the career, your career isn't just something for you that you get to deal with in a bubble, that it, it impacts your family and is impacted by your family. And you've got to make it fit within the larger realm of your life and, you know, just get to focus on your career 100% of the time. So I love that. Yeah. My husband's my biggest cheerleader. I think, you know, we've been married 26 years and he is always encouraging me and just so proud of the work I do. It's been, uh, it's been a game changer. I don't think I could have done my transition into coaching had he not been so encouraging because that coaching certification, that's the best kept secret. That is hard mm. work. Like, <laughs> I respect anyone who can get certified as a coach while they're working full time. That was, that was a lot of work, which I loved, but I was like, wow, I thought I'd have more time. But I didn't. It was like full time. Yeah, maybe kind of on that note, maybe a quick blurb if you wanted to talk about that, the certification, kind of all that went into it, because like you mentioned, it is, it's a ton of work and it's, it's, it was a, yours that you went through was a year long commitment. Yeah. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what it means to be a certified coach, because you mentioned you were, you were coaching before you were yeah. certified and absolutely yeah. people can coach without being certified. But what does that certification mean to you in terms of how you bring it to life in your practice? Yeah, it, it, I think the biggest from two for me, because I think back to when I was consulting and coaching back in, I guess it would have been like 2003 through 10. I for sure said I was coaching. But in, when I look back, I think I was more consulting. Mm. Like I was like, and, and don't get me wrong, the client probably needed consulting as much <laughs> as they needed coaching. So I was mm -hmm. able to meet their needs. But I, I thought of it at the time as coaching. And I think the consulting was like, instead of helping them to develop in an area, like today I help develop, you know, I had to help the, the coachee develop so that I'm, they, they are not, I don't give them the answer. They develop in areas that help them mm. come up with the answer. And people say, well, that sounds like counseling or therapy. And, and a lot of people ask, what's the difference between coaching and therapy? And, and what therapy is, is mostly looking backwards and what 
what coaching is, is always looking forward or in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to help a client know what they want to develop in the future and helping them develop around um, their whole self and bringing together, you know, everything around relationships and, and everything around how they think and make decisions and how they show up and how they communicate and how they take care of themselves and a lot of self-care and again, showing up with their head, heart and their intuition all alive. All of that is part of the coaching process that I do today versus before it was really to solve problems. And I was doing mm. a lot of the solving. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, and New Ventures West is uh, one of uh, a handful of excellent coaching certification programs in the U.S. And I know they're um, they're well respected as well as there's a few others that um, I know that I know you went to a different school and there's uh, there's plenty to choose from. And I enjoyed New Ventures West. It's got a cohort um, approach. I just came back from a weekend with. <laughs> Um, a few of the folks from my cohort and I know we'll be lifelong friends and and colleagues and able to support each other on our each of our own journeys so the program 12 months a lot of practice clients a lot of looking under our own kind of approach of how we show up in the world so the first three months was a deep dive into all the things that I need to work on which was great (laughs) I had a coach and I actually um I'm about to find a new coach as well so we're starting a new coaching relationship so I can be coached so it's a constant learning and growing and developing phase as a coach Mm. seems very much in line with that idea of of kind of that seven-year cycle and always looking for some always recognizing there's something new and there's not like I mean to borrow old old slogans right there's no there's no finish line like that can always keep improving and keep iterating so yeah it's a great mindset well and that's exactly right like there's a growth mindset that I find is a common denominator uh with the clients that I'm working with and that whole ability to be curious and um I, I can't, when I when when I work with a new client, we have a discovery call, which is part of the coaching process. And as much as they're assessing whether I'm a good coach for them, most coaches will assess whether the client who's reached out is curious about how they are wired, um, committed to the 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 time it takes to be in a coaching relationship, and then also coachable. So curious, committed, and coachable is what I look for. And that's that's not always um, present. Lots of times people are motivated to get coaching for other reasons. And I think it's really important to take on clients who are ready and willing and open to be coached. Yeah, no, that's, I think it's a common, not a misunderstanding. I, I think maybe people just don't understand that typically a, a real productive, healthy coaching relationship, right? You do have that. It's like that discovery session is a two-way interview. Um, it's a time for both the the coachee and the coach to say, this is going to work or it's not going to work for whatever reason. So I really, really like that call out. Mm. You know, it's an, it's an, a nice maybe opportunity, to, uh, a shout out as well. I, I work with a, another fabulous organization called the Leadership Consortium. And the Leadership Consortium was founded by Francis Fry and Ann Morris, um, and Francis is well known within the Harvard Business School community. And, and the actual um, 
Leadership Consortium offers online programs around leadership development and just incredible uh, online classroom settings where there's lecture and, and breakouts and case studies. And then a number of the participants sign up for coaching. Mm. And so twice a year, I work with their cohorts and take on coaches through them or coaching clients through them. And they have a very, very strong commitment to um, diversity and underrepresented uh, populations or communities. And it's just such um, an impressive group of people in each cohort that come together. And the companies that support the Leadership Consortium have been outstanding um, as well. So if any, if there's any interest and you're part of an organization that's looking for a really well done kind of outstanding kind of quality of like instruction or um, learning. I can't say enough about the leadership consortium. Mm, that's great. And we'll put a link to them for sure in the, in the notes as well for others to check out. Well, I think we are just about at time, but really love to end these with um, kind of through your career, any pick any point, if you had to pick one of the coolest things or maybe the coolest um, that stood out to you for whatever reason, um, you mentioned there were a lot of like, uh, oh, this is awesome moments at Nike, or maybe it was earlier in your career, or even just like a cool coaching moment. What stands out for you that you'd like to share with others? You know, I would say two things come to mind. One, throughout my career, I feel like I've mentioned I've had pinch me moments. Like I've, I've been mm. in situations where I'm like, oh my gosh, you cannot make this up. I cannot believe I'm sitting at the table and I, I'm not going to name drop, but I just feel yeah. like I've been at the table with incredible people. And then something happens where I'm reminded that they are just as human as the rest of us. Mm. And that like that human side where they might've shared something that um, uh, I, I won't even go into what made me feel that they were human. But the point is, I feel like the, the, the fact that you can have the most impactful um, career or stardom or legacy, and at the core, we're all so similar and that we're human and we have foibles and, and all sorts of um, blind spots and areas to kind of learn and grow um, together. So that was kind of the, that's that kind of what put things in perspective for me. And then the other kind of, I would say, lesson learned that I, I learned early and I wish, uh, I wish I had learned it, like maybe I learned it halfway through my career, but it's just this confidence that I have when I go into a room where I'm either facilitating or participating, um, I, I go into every single room I'm in with the confidence that the answer is in the room. Mm. And when I know the answer is in the room, I just totally relax because it's just a matter of asking the right questions and being curious because I know that someone's going to, someone's going to share the insight that we need or the solution that we're looking for or the direction that we are trying to create. And that confidence that the answers in the room helps me not grip the wheel, but to like release that energy and just be inclusive and, sort of abundant, it's just like that lens of abundance. It's like all these amazing, brilliant people. I know the answer is here. That's great. 
Well, I think uh, maybe any final advice, maybe for anybody that's uh, working through their career or trying to assess their career, anything that you'd like to share that was helpful uh, for you or that you've learned in terms of maybe uh, a nugget? I would say it's related to the lens of abundance that I just shared. I think we always have a choice and to start day each day for me with self-care, spending time uh, in meditation or alone, and just really like um, assuming positive intent is probably um, my, my best advice. I think we often get spun up when we don't have the narrative, we create one. And if we don't assume positive intent, I feel like people waste a lot of time swirling the drain when if we just started with assuming positive intent, the world goes better. Like things just, mm. you know, go better. So I um, I think that the advice I would give anyone around career is don't take the bait, assume positive intent, <laughs> and the answer is always in the room. That's amazing. Well, great. So Linda, we've shared, you've shared a few resources we'll link. So Earthshot Prize, Leadership Consortium, um, your website, obviously, lindalucas.com will put there. Anything else? Where else can people find you or connect with you if they're interested in, in talking to you more? Reach out to me and connect with me on LinkedIn. That would be awesome. Always is. Awesome. Yeah. I'll put that there as well. Well, Linda, thanks so much for the time. This was great. Um, really enjoyed having you on. Oh, thank you, Patrick. It was a joy spending time with you. And just like that, another career deep dive is in books. One of the things that I'm constantly reminded of when speaking with Linda is the unavoidable sense of groundedness that comes across and just how inviting and nurturing her presence is. With the kind of background that she has, it'd be easy to assume that she could come across as unrelatable, but that couldn't be further from the truth. What's more, her commitment to helping bring out the best in others while being centered in the confidence that we all possess what we need to succeed are what I'll continue to keep with me when thinking of Linda. And as always, if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode or ideas you'd like to hear covered in future episodes, you can send them to me at patrick at prgscoach.com. If you also have a unique career story of your own or feel as though you have something to offer to the world as far as career development advice goes, I'd love to hear from you to see about having you on for a future career deep dive episode. And with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk more in our next episode.